2 Corinthians chapter 4, we are looking at verses 7 through 15. We will pray and then read the word of the Lord. Father, we come before your throne, the author and the finisher of our faith. Father, you who show us mercy, even when we least desire it, even when we least expect it. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the amazing things you have already done beyond my imagination. And yet, Father, you are not done. Father, I thank you for the blessing and yet the concerns dealing with Russia, uh, Burma, and India. And yet, Lord, you have placed us here for such a time as this. As I have asked, Lord, I pray for laborers. Father, I pray for those who are serving to not grow weary, to not grow dry, and not grow hypocritical. And Father, that your grace and peace which surpasses understanding would guard our hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. Father, as we look at the words of our brother Paul, may we understand that they are God-breathed. Father, may we understand the power of the moment, the power of the day, the power of the age. And Father, may we decrease as you increase as we become servants, ministers of the Most High God. To your glory and praise. Amen. Chapter 4, 2 Corinthians, verses 7 through 15. If you would, please follow with me as we read the word of the Lord. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not of ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our bodies. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to the death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. What we're looking at is treasure in an earthen vessel. In its context, Paul has given us an understanding of the Old Covenant versus the New Covenant and that we have this precious treasure which is the fulfillment of the Old Covenant. It is the glory of God in the face of Christ. That is what has been given to every child of God. I hear people speaking of grace. You've heard people speak of grace. You know, this is grace. This is grace. And you fill in the blank. This is grace. Okay. Do you understand the single greatest grace you have ever received? Do you understand which one it is? Oh, it's salvation. Nope. Nope, wasn't it? Well, the promise of heaven. Nope, wasn't it? There's one grace that is far above every other thing that has ever been given by the Lord Jesus Christ and or God our Creator. It is above creation. 
Do you know what it is? It's right here. The Word of God. Without it, everything else is irrelevant. If you do not have the Word of God, what do you got? Man's religion. And yet it is in the word of God that we have received an abundance of grace where Paul, when he was preparing to die, told Timothy to what? Stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What is in Christ Jesus? In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And yet I watch people today and this is irrelevant. We want ministry we want bells we want whistles we want dancing ponies fill in the blank and yet the greatest grace that has ever been given to humanity is the word of god the word of god you think i'm wrong there is no other book ever been penned so hated despised and tried to be destroyed than the holy word of god You can go through history. Centuries after centuries, mankind has tried to obliterate the word of God. (laughs) And if you really think about it, golly, that's kind of stupid. Right? And yet, I think about grace and grace given unto us. And the first thing that I think of is the word of God. Because you know what, brothers and sisters? You can tell me a story. You can spin me a yarn. But if I do not have the word of God, there is no way that you come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, period. It is through preaching the word that men are saved. That's how people are saved. How do you strengthen people for the task at hand? Through the word of God. So how great is this grace? And that's what the apostle Paul is telling you and I. But we have this treasure in our old clay pot. Old baked dirt jug. Oh, did we tell you that we use it to haul out our garbage? That's the container. But the importance of it is not the container. The importance of it is what's inside. What's inside? The grace of God in the word of God. We are called to make disciples. The problem is I've never met a human being who doesn't. The problem in the church today is that we're making disciples, but we're not basing it on the grace that has been given to us, which is the word of God. Why? Because I'm concerned of the lack of humility that exists in the evangelical body. And yet the Apostle Paul says, verse 7, so the surpassing greatness of the power will be what? Of God. I know a lot of guys right now who are jacked up for Jesus. Okay? I'm here for the kingdom. And I can look at them and see what they're doing. And at best, they already have their reward. At best. It goes down from there. Why? Because they're doing it in their own energy, their own abilities, their own talents. 
Okay, and when you do that, motive might have been right. I want to be a part of the kingdom. But when you do it that way, guess what? You're doing it in your power. You are not doing it in the power of God. We also saw that those who would understand this first principle of I don't bring anything to the table then understands that they are unstoppable because at 8 and 9 he says, I'm inflicted in every way, uh, not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. I can tell you in my meeting that I had this this week, there's a part of me that is very perplexed, but I'm not despairing. Um, a part of it I, I see in the American church is um, we have a short attention span. You know, we we want to do like two things and 10,000 instead of saying the Great Commission says what has been given to you, you give it to others and you just pour it into them. And if you have the ability to change the eternal destiny of but one soul, what have you done that any mortal can do? It's way beyond any mortal. You know, I looked at what we did in Oriel, and I say we because it took all of us. What we did in Oriel, there's seven Bible preaching, teaching churches that are literally teaching and preaching the things that you and I invested in them people. The doctrine of the Holy Spirit, the doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of God, the doctrine of Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians, Romans, the book of Acts. How to study the Bible. How to let the Bible interpret itself without even using a commentary. It's an amazing thing. And now those men are investing in other men and women in in a land that you will not see the evidence of that fruit or the continuation of that fruit until you and I step into glory. And then you'll stand there and go, whoa. but we're unstoppable. Why? You can be perplexed, but you won't despair. And there's times I look at it and go, I don't get it. Persecuted, but not forsaken. I can honestly say I've never been persecuted for the things of Christ. I know that I'm in a spiritual battle. I know that I have an adversary who is trying his best as many ways as possible to make me ineffective. I don't know. I mean, he does it in odd ways. Um, let's wake him up early. Let's make him have a long day. Let's make him have a short day. Let's, let's make him do this. Let's make him, and it, but it's, you know, people say, well, that's persecution. No, not really. Why? Because my God and my, his word, his grace says that I will run and not grow weary. I will have wings and I will soar. Okay. And there's times I don't feel like soaring. I don't feel like running. And he says, I didn't ask you if you felt like it. Okay, here's the deal. Get up or get drug. <laughs> I'm up, I'm up. <laughs> All right. These are the things that you and I have to pay attention to. Because it isn't just me, brothers and sisters. It is us. If you are saved today, 2 Corinthians is speaking to you today, saying that you are now a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are a slave. You are his servant. You have been bought and paid for with the price. You better be humble. Because once you understand your humility, then you are unstoppable. 
But you can't do one without the other. You can't be unstoppable if you think you're doing it. Why? Because then you'll start caring about yourself. 10 and 11 says we are sacrificial. We are always carrying around the body of dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our body. We who will live are being constantly delivered over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our mortal flesh. They can't get at our king. So let's get after his messengers. Okay, but you know what? If you're really honest with yourself, if you understand that you are just a baked clay pot with a precious treasure inside, then you are humble. If you are humble, then your life is of no importance to yourself. Therefore, you are unstoppable. If your life is of no importance to yourself, now you are sacrificial. To live is Christ. To die is gain. You won't do that without humility. Because you become important to yourself. You become important to yourself. Therefore, you will be stoppable. Okay? If you're important to yourself, you will never, ever step into sacrificial. All right? But you'll be fruitful. Why? Verse 12 says, So death works in us, but life in youth. What do we look for? And in your lives, I want each of you to ask yourself this. I don't want you to ask yourself about your spouse or your kids or anything like that. You yourself, when your day starts, do you look for eternal fruit? Do you look around for the glory of God in the face of Jesus? Because if you're looking at the glory of God in the face of Jesus, you will share that. You will push that. You will proclaim that. And everything you deal with will be based on that. And I don't care how bad it gets. You're still going to stand there. And it ain't that I didn't get hurt. It isn't that this isn't, well, this is awkward. Or, oh man, this is an inconvenience. That's not what it says. I am here about my king. Period. But see, unless you are understanding your humility, then you will become unstoppable. Then you will become sacrificial. And then you become looking at the message. What am I here for? What am I here for? Death works in us, but life in you. Very simple. No one gets out of this thing alive. Did you ever understand that? Now, I remember somebody once told me, he says, you know, the two guarantees in life, death and taxes. Uh, that's not true. There's one. I know people who don't pay taxes. I don't know anybody gets out of this bugger alive. Okay. As a Christian, I can understand that even though my body, my physical being is slowly declining. Well, sometimes it gets a little faster than other times, but I like to keep it at slowly. Okay, I understand that whatever that time frame is, whatever that movement is, that chronology is, I am here for the person of Jesus Christ. Why? Because I'm investing in people, what? Eternal life. That's what I'm looking for. Listen, when I think about the ministry, it is only twofold. 
I'm either reaching the lost or strengthening the saved. And you know what's really cool about it? I confuse so easily that God says, no, you do one thing, you'll accomplish both. Thank you, Jesus. Because I'd hate to think I have to change it. You give them the grace of the word of God. And those who are elect will come to salvation. You give them the word of God. And those who are elect and are saved will be strengthened. So that guess what? They will learn to decrease and others will increase around them. As they continue to pass on life. Verse 13 says we are faithful. Having the same spirit of faith, he spoke of the psalmist in 106, and he says, according to what is written, what was written, I believe, therefore I spoke. He was giving praise. He was in a place. He was near the open grave. All right? That's where he was. The grave's getting ready to get me. And then he says, but God wants me around for a little while, and I will already begin praising his name. That's where our prayer lives ought to be. Why? Faithful. I don't pray hoping, well, I hope this sticks. Let me throw up 30 prayers and see if I can get one out of 30. That ain't the way you do it. That ain't the way you do it. When I think about the Apostle Paul's prayers, he never prayed for anything temporal. He only prayed for the eternals. There's too many times we are praying for the Temporal. If you think about it, now I want you to think about this for a second. Just you, I mean, this is between you and God. The fervency of your prayers, okay? The intensity of your prayers, okay? Are they greater when it's the temporal or are they greater when it's the eternal? I know. Well, that's one of them convicting things, isn't it? I think you just stepped on my left big toe. But think about it. And why? Because I can grasp the temporal. I see it. I'm in it. I'm eyeball deep in it. But the eternals, I can't really grasp that. I would challenge you to change that. Let your fervency be more for the eternals. And then you can back away and say, look, he gave me my daily bread, but yet again, go figure. Being faithful, which brings me to 14, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. You know what? When I go through this, I think about being humble. Okay, now, now, now I understand that I'm just an old clay baked jug. All right. Uh, so it's not about me no more. My life is no longer important to me. I'm unstoppable. All right, man. Now I'll be sacrificial because, you know what? This doesn't mean anything to me. All right, I can handle that. All right. And then the fruit. Fruit is, you know, there may be people who will hear who, who don't know and will come to knowledge. And there will be those who know who will be strengthened in that knowledge. Wow, that's an awesome understanding. And then, you know, then, then I'll be faithful. You know, I believe. I know this. I've seen this. I bear witness to it in my life and my actions. Therefore, I speak. 
Now I come hopeful. I want you to share something about hopeful. I'm humble, unstoppable, sacrificial, fruitful, faithful. Okay, so I have a good attitude. But let me tell you something about a good attitude. It only goes to a point. Now, you may want to run out of here and say, oh, he doesn't. No, 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 no. It only goes to a point. Without hopefulness, it is tough to hold on to the rest. I can summarize this thing in one one word. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. I can summarize that. One word. Okay? Resurrection. That's what he's talking about. Paul's saying, you know what? You look around me right now. The attacks that are coming within the church, the attacks that are coming with outside the church and the religious fanatics and this and that who are all pointing to me. And I don't really care because I'm living in light of the imminent return of Christ and or the resurrection. You ever thought about that? I can honestly testify to you this very day. I've never seen anybody raised from the dead. But I can also tell you this very day, there's nothing else that keeps me more motivated than the resurrection. I believe emphatically in the resurrection. Years and years and years ago, some of you know this, I set out to prove a contradiction in the scriptures. I know it doesn't sound that spiritual, does it? (laughs) But I felt like if I got this book and I tear this thing apart, I find a contradiction in it, then I can pitch this and it is irrelevant. Because it's no different than any other man written whatever. But then I think about the resurrection. Years ago, I set out to find contradiction in Scripture. You know where I started? The easiest. The easiest thing to disprove in Scripture. The resurrection. That just doesn't happen on a normal basis. Okay? So that ought to be extraordinarily simple to prove. Except for one small problem. God used the enemies of Christ to prove the resurrection. And you're like, well, that's not fair. Okay, and then it dawned on me, I got 11 guys who wouldn't fight for him when he was arrested. And then all of a sudden they come walking out of the gate and they go up to the very leaders who had just crucified Christ and say, you men of Israel murdered Messiah. They wouldn't fight for him when he's alive. Why are they all of a sudden motivated? Oh, because they saw him out of the grave. And if you go to Israel, if you go to the Jerusalem area or whatever... They've got a pillar, a monument, or a church, or something everywhere for something. There's nothing happened spiritually in Jerusalem. Somebody ain't got a monument to it. Okay? I mean, you name it. It's there. We got a church of the Olivet Discourse. We got a church on the hill. We got a church in the. Yeah, you're sitting there going, you mean the crickets? 
All right? It's everywhere. We had a church, in the, and they were getting mad because they were tearing up historical archaeological sites. And the Catholics built a church that hovered. It's not even touching the ground over where Peter's house was on the Sea of Galilee. It's a really cool building. And we have a tomb. They, they, they've got a place where you can pay. I don't know which denomination has it. But you can stick your hand. It's under plexiglass. And you can stick your hand in the hole where Jesus' cross was stuck on the rock. Okay? You can pay. They took a stone saw and they cut the burial plate that Jesus laid on in his tomb. They cut it out and they moved it out of the tomb. And then they laid it out there and they hang all these candles around it and all these incense burners around it. And you can pay money to kiss that sucker. And then they give you a towel. And I'm sitting there going, ugh. And you just sit there and you go, why? I, I don't get it. We've got a headless body. Okay? That is John the Baptist. Why? I don't know. <laughs> How do you know it's not Paul? They cut his head off too. I, you know, I, it could have been Bob. <laughs> I don't know. They were kind of into that at that time. I don't understand. Well, yeah, but that's John the Baptist. Well, how do you know? When they've got a monument or something, they've got a pillar. I, I want one of these. It's a great big pillar. It's a cone pillar made of basalt. And it's called the Pillar of Absalom. And the Jewish leaders are taking their kids down there and smacking their heads against them and saying, don't be like Absalom. And I was like, I want one of those. <laughs> I want the pillar. That's the pillar of Absalom. You want to see your brain against it? (laughs) But you know what they don't have? Jesus' body. A couple of months ago, probably a year ago, they found a box, a burial box. Okay? And it says, here is Jesus. And everybody freaked out. (laughs) Okay? See? His body. We got his body. Well, actually, we got a box of bones. But on the front of it, it says, this is Jesus. Well, Jesus was a very normal name. You would know it as Ishua. You would also know it as Joshua. Okay? So, we got Joshua's bones. All right. Okay? And everybody proclaimed it. Here it is. Okay? There was no really bodily resurrection. It was more of a spiritual resurrection. Okay? Then they dated this sucker, and he... <laughs> Oh, well, about the time of John Calvin. <laughs> it's close. <laughs> okay, 1500s. Okay, which was as close. But, but we found it. Well, good. Okay, so you don't hear so much about it anymore. Because he ain't there. It was a bodily resurrection. He received a new body. Okay, it says here. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus Christ will raise us also with Jesus. This goes beyond a positive thinking. This goes beyond a good attitude. But I want to share with you something about resurrection. This is something that you and I don't pay attention to in resurrection. Okay? There's a a, a serious implication with the resurrection. Before you can rise again, 
What must happen? Never thought about that, did you? Okay. You've heard of the rapture of the church. Do you understand the implication of that? Just curious. Have you ever thought about it? It ain't like the movie and everybody's clothes are laying around. Okay, why? Because these are old baked clay pots. I don't want mine in heaven. Nothing personal. I don't want yours in heaven. Well, I don't. I want to be in a place that is completely separated from sin. There's no ability to sin. Guess what? This old clay pot still has an ability to sin. Still does. So for me to be resurrected in pure holiness, what must happen? I have to say goodbye to my clay pot. Okay? And nothing personal. I'm kind of tired of this thing. Now, you may not be tired of yours, but there's days that mine just absolutely annoys me. I mean, how would you like to be in a vessel that doesn't need ibuprofen? I think that'd be totally awesome. I'm in. Okay. All right. But what if I have to get rid of this one to get it? I'm still in. I'm still in. Some people look at that as a bummer. The Apostle Paul didn't look at it as a bummer. Do you understand that death is a promise? Interesting concept, don't you think? Paul knows this. And and, and I, I get people who tell me, well, what about the rapture? The word that you get rapture from is actually a Latin word. Okay? And it is the root word that we get rape from. Okay, in the Latin. Okay. In the Greek, it means a violent snatching up. Alright? But see, that doesn't flow as well. I'm looking forward to the violent snatching up. <laughs> the what? Okay. But nobody's going to say, hey, I'm looking forward to the rape. Alright? But either one of those words, when you look at that, you're looking at something that, wow, really? But the outcome is what? A resurrected body. Okay? A body that is like Christ's. No ability to sin. Now, I remember a professor one time told me, he says, we're all going to be 33-year-old males. I was like, really? (laughs) Bummer. (laughs) And That sounds sort of... (laughs) Okay? Kind of... Really? And then as I have studied scripture more, that professor's wrong. We are different as the stars in the heaven. All right, I'm in. I'm back in. I didn't, wasn't sure about hanging out with a bunch of 33 year old males for eternity. When I think about the rapture, I think about a cataclysmic event that causes the death of those remaining. So that they, in the twinkling of an eye, will leave this planet. And those who are gone on before them will come and receive their resurrected body in the heavenlies. And those who are 
just being caught up, snatched up violently, will receive their resurrected bodies. Those who have died before us in the twinkling of an eye will receive their body before us. I don't care. I don't care if I am second. Okay, because I've heard people say, well, that just doesn't sound right. I'll take it. All right? I've always wanted a church plant in Barbados. I'll take strengthening saints in Bermuda. I'm easy. I will tell you this. I am not going into the presence of my Lord and my Savior, whether it is up in the air or into his presence in this earthen vessel. No man nor woman shall. You don't want an old dirt baked garbage bucket in the presence of Jesus. Paul says, you know what? I can preach with conviction. I believe, therefore I speak. I can put my life on the line. It doesn't matter what men think about me. It doesn't matter if they reject my truth. If my preaching is for the sake of the elect, I will preach and people will come to salvation. If my preaching is for the sake of sanctification, I will still preach. So they will be stronger and they will carry out the life message. If it is for the sake of filling up the afflictions of, that were meant for my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that's fine too. Because in the end, all they can do is kill me. And when they do that, the Lord will just raise me up. Then I become really annoying. We live in that hope, Paul says. Paul thought it would be far better to depart. Too many of us in this room right now, yeah, it'd be great, but. Now, it says here, He who raised the Lord Jesus Christ. Who's that? God did. You see it in Acts chapter 2 verse 24. You also see it in uh, Romans 8, 11. One of my favorites. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells you. You see it spoken of in 1 Corinthians 6, 14. We've already discussed this at length. But now God has not only raised the Lord, but also raised us up through his power. I'm thinking that this is really kind of clear. Okay, who raised Christ? God did. Who will raise us? God will. It's very clear. See, the word of God promises us that we will be raised. Paul says, I may die. I may go into the grave. But you know what? In chapter 5, verse 8 of 2 Corinthians, we are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body. Why? To be at home with the Lord. Someday, we will be reunited with a resurrected body. Right now, if you die, people ask this all the time, if you die, what happens? Do you go into like a soul sleep? What do you do? Nope, you go be with Jesus. Your spirit, boom, 
Absent from the body? Present with the Lord. Okay? But there's coming a time and a future event at the snatching up of the church, the catching up of the church, where those who have died in Christ will come down from the third heaven to the air. And they receive a resurrected body, a twinkling in the eye before those who were left remaining will join them there. A body floating, messing with air traffic. <laughs> Did you see all them people? <laughs> you go from an airplane ride to a plane air ride. And then... We step into the wedding feast of the groom and the bride. And my calculations are that thing's only seven years long. Okay? While we're up there having the wedding feast of the bride, four horsemen have been cut loose on the planet Earth and they move over to the bold judgments. Satan takes his place as what he perceives to be God. And then Jesus returns and says, yeah, hang on a minute. That's not exactly how he says it, but you get the point. See, my question is, and Paul's statement is, do I live in that hope? Because if I live in that hope, then it doesn't matter if I die. That's what the Apostle Paul's telling you and I. It doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. I'm an old clay pot. Why? I'm looking forward to the resurrection. Paul is looking at it and saying, I know God who raised Jesus will raise us all. Will raise us all. See, if, if you're really honest with yourself, is this not the hope of eternal life? It's the resurrection. Is this not hope of eternal rewards? I mean, if you get a resurrected body, do you really need another crown? Nah, I have a body that is only like Christ. It is incapable of sinning. If it's incapable of sinning, it means it's incapable of ever dying. <laughs> now I can get into trouble. And if we live in that hope, you got to understand something. Death will come. It will come. Not all are going to get caught up in the rapture. It's a violent event. And yet, even that holds no fear for the Apostle Paul because he says, you know what? Even if I'm here at the great catching up, this violent gathering of the church, even if I'm here for that, that matter, I'll be raised. Paul couldn't wait to get rid of this garbage bucket container and to get a body that was like Christ. Couldn't wait. To be like Christ. See Him as He is. The sufferings of this world pale in comparison. And if you're really honest with yourself and you think about the resurrected body, whatever suffering we're going through right now, can it really compare? Can it? I mean, I'm still trying to think about a body that hovers. That ought to be interesting. I'm thinking about a body that can cover the expanse of creation in a blink. 
<laughs> Your face be all there. <laughs> I just came from the Milky Way. <laughs> I don't. I, I don't know. I, I, you know, it's here and there. You know, to me today you will be with me in paradise. Where is that? On the other side of creation. Huh. All right. That's like fast. And I don't. I don't. Can anything that we endure in this life compare to that? I like the fact that he can eat and then walk through a wall. That's the resurrected body. That's, it just does things. I don't know. And it, you look at your life and how you cling on to it so hardly. And I keep thinking, get rid of it. Let me get rid of this earthen vessel, this baked clay vessel. Paul writing Timothy, his last letter he ever wrote, 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says, I'm ready to be offered. He's in the Mamatine prison getting ready to have his head removed. He says, my departure is hand, is at hand. If I was written it, I would have wrote it this way. Get me out of here. I'm done. Or as the great philosopher once said, hasta la bye-bye. I'm done. I want my resurrected body. I'm ready to get rid of this thing. For Paul, he understood that death is gain. And he lived in that hope. It didn't matter what happens in this life when you live in that hope. Life to come is all that matters. I asked you, when you pray, do you have more fervency for the temporal or do you have more fervency for the eternals? Because if I pray to the eternals, then I understand that the life here is irrelevant and the life to come is all that matters. Let me be found faithful, even if it is just one. Remember, he's going to Jerusalem. Agabus wrapped his feet. He says, the man whose belt this is, is going to Jerusalem to suffer. You know what Paul said? I'm in. I'm in because he says, it didn't matter what happens to me. I don't care what they call me. I don't care if they think I'm unimpressive. I don't care if they don't think I can speak well. It is irrelevant. I am looking to the eternals. Why? Because that's the resurrection. Life dear to self, is it? It wasn't to Paul. Paul just wanted to finish the work. Here's what's going on. Let me finish. Let me finish. And he lived in hope knowing God is going to raise us. We are going to all be there someday. Think about this, will you? We all are going to be in the presence of God. The whole bride will meet the bridegroom. That doesn't excite you? That's just like, whoa. And you know what? There's going to be people in the bridegroom thinking, what are you doing here? And you know what? You can look at them saying, I was thinking the same thing about you. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, the 24 elders and the, the angels, the seraphim and the cherubim will begin singing, holy, holy, holy. And you will turn and there is the lame as if he had been slain, comes walking before 
to claim his bride, he will say, I have purchased her from her sin. She is perfect as I am. And I present her to God my Father as a gift to show my love to my Father. And you all will be a part of that celebration. And you're telling me that there's something on this planet more important than that. And there's something you're enduring. You just don't understand how tough this is. Paul says, I am convinced that the sufferings of this age cannot compare to the glory to come. And we all go, amen, brother. As we fight and we toil in the temporals. And you're just an earthen vessel with a precious treasure inside. We are weak. We are suffering. And I will encourage you that it's no big deal. When we look to live for the eternals, things of this world grow strangely dim. Let me ask you a question. You give it all for the hope of heaven. Give it all in Christ. If you are, you will be humble. You will be unstoppable. You will be sacrificial. You will be fruitful. You will be faithful. You will be hopeful. Next week, we'll look at glorious. Father, we come before your throne, the author and the finisher. Lord, help us. Lord, let us keep a focus on the resurrection. Let that be our hope in light of everything else. And yet, Father, let us be of a use for your kingdom here in these earthen vessels so that the glory of God would be manifest in us individually and collectively. Father, may we never take it for granted. And may we run the race that is set before each of us. May we run it with endurance. May we run it with lives of living sacrifices. To your praise and to your glory. Father, thank you. Thank you for so much. Those things that we see and we understand. And Father, for those things we don't see and will not understand until we see him face to face. We praise you and we thank you. In Christ's name, amen.